Good afternoon. We appreciate very much you tuning in to study God's word, word with us today. We encourage you to open up your Bibles as we get into our study and examine what God's truth has to reveal to us. God is holy. And where God is, is holy as well. And where God chooses to manifest his presence is holy too. For example, back in Exodus, Exodus chapter 3, when the Lord Almighty appeared to Moses in the wilderness by means or through a means of a burning bush. If you recall that conversation, you remember how God tells Moses, take off your sandals, take off your shoes, because you are on holy ground. Throughout the ages, God has revealed himself and has revealed his will in many different ways. The heavens, for example. The heavens are constantly declaring God's glory, God's radiant majesty. Angelic ministers have revealed his plans and his precepts all along the way. And then his only begotten son, Jesus, was a true reflection of his father's glorious grace and truth. So from time to time, God, God who is unapproachable light, has chosen to manifest himself and to manifest his presence his fellowship, his approval through the instrumentality of various agents or works or visible signs. Now, God does not literally live in beautiful man-made physical structures, which we often describe as temples. But God ordained, God designed God built temples, our dwellings, for divine fellowship. In the Bible, we clearly see there is a correlation, a definite correlation between God and his house. And when that house is built and is all that it ought to be for Jehovah, it is then that there is a sense of filling up of that of that holy house with God. In the Old Testament, at the completion of what God directed, what God instructed to be built, to be constructed, we are told that a visible manifestation of his glorious presence filled those structures. In Exodus, God's servant Moses was instructed, was told to build the tabernacle. And he was told to build the tabernacle according to the pattern God showed him. That is exactly what Moses did. From the material that he used to the placement of the furnishing in the holy tent itself, Moses built the tabernacle according to God's pattern. And then in Exodus chapter 40, if you turn your Bibles there, please. In Exodus chapter 40, on the day the tabernacle was put up, the tabernacle was erected, I want you to note how that every detail was done 
with the greatest of respect for adherence. Look in Exodus chapter 40, verse 17. It says, now in the first month of the second year, on the first day of the month, the tabernacle was erected. So we're told they're finished you know, making it, building it. Now it's being put up. Now, glance down through a few verses here. Verse 19, where it says, He spread the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering of the tent on top of it, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Did you notice that? The detail there? How when it came to the covering of the tabernacle, you know, that, you know the cover to protect the tabernacle itself. He says, they did so just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Now look in verse 21. He brought the ark into the tabernacle and set up a veil for the screen and screened off the ark of the testimony just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Verse 23, when they arraigned the bread on the table before the Lord, they did so just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Verse 25, when they lighted the lamps before the Lord, they did so just as the Lord had commanded Moses. When they placed the altar, the altar burnt offering, before the doorway of the temple of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting and offered on that burnt offering, they did so just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Verse 32, when it comes to you know, you know, the washing of the priest, before they entered the temple, they said when they entered the, the tent of meeting and when they approached the, the altar, they washed just as the Lord had commanded Moses. So when Moses and the priest and the people, when they all had finished the work, the work that God had given them to do, the work that God had told them to do, and when they did that just as the Lord had commanded, it was then that the glory of the Lord filled God's tabernacle. Verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Jehovah's glorious presence was of such a nature that Moses was unable to enter the tent. Now, centuries later, King Solomon was chosen by God to build a more permanent house of the Lord in Jerusalem. So now we turn several pages over to 2 Chronicles chapter 5. 2 Chronicles chapter 5. I want you to note here, on the day that the Ark of the Covenant was placed in the most holy place in the temple that they have just finished building, it says the cloud of the Lord's glory filled the house and the priests were unable, the priests were unable to continue to minister in it. And so we're going to read here in the fifth chapter of Second Chronicles and start there in verse 11. When the priest came forth from the holy place, for all the priests who were present had sanctified themselves without regard to divisions. And all the Levitical singers, Asaph, Heman, 
Jedithan and their sons and kinsmen clothed in fine linen with cymbals, harps, and lyres, standing east of the altar, and with them 120 priests blowing trumpets in unison when the trumpeters and the singers were to make themselves heard with one voice to praise and to glorify the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice, accompanied by trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music, and when they praised the Lord, saying, He indeed is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Then, then the house, the house of the Lord, was filled with a cloud. Was filled with a cloud so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. As you continue reading here in 2 Chronicles, after Solomon finished his prayer to God at the dedication of this temple, as you read here in the 6th chapter of 2 Chronicles, again we are told that the glory of the Lord filled the house that day to such an extent that the priests were unable to enter the temple to carry out their service. Note what it says here in 2 Chronicles chapter, uh, chapter 7, verses 1 through 3. Now, when Solomon had finished praying, fire came down now. Fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the house. The priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. All the sons of Israel, seeing the fire, came down, and the glory of the Lord upon the house bowed down on the pavement with their faces to the ground, and they worshipped. They worshipped and gave praise to the Lord, saying, Truly he is good. Truly his love and kindness is everlasting. In both of these constructions, the people of God followed God's blueprint. They followed God's architectural blueprints, and then God visibly showed himself, showed them his presence, showed them his fellowship, his approval, by filling his house with his radiant majesty. So, what do we learn from this? What do we learn from these two occasions when God filled his house? Before we address that question and try to answer that, let me ask another question. Under the new covenant in Christ, who? Who is God's house? In the New Testament, the scriptures are very clear in teaching us that Christ's body, Christ's church, is the house of God or the household of God. That the body and church of Christ is said to be the house and the household of God. And we see that in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, where it says, And he put all things in subjection under his feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So here we have the collective fellowship of the saved, who have been called out of darkness into God's light. They are the congregate 
of the reconciled and sanctifying believers who have been purchased and built by Jesus. And built by Jesus according to his Father's will. They are God's house. They are a dwelling for God. The Apostle Paul brings that out very clearly over in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. As he addresses the saints, the, ch you know, the church in Corinth, he says to them, For we are God's fellow workers, that is, Paul and fellow apostles and fellow prophets. We are God's fellow workers, but you, that is, you the church, you are God's field, God's building. And then he asks a question in, in the 16th verse. Do you not know, do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Don't you know that? He goes on in the 17th verse to say, the temple of God is holy. And that is what you are. Going back to Ephesians 2 again, we see that the Apostle Paul continued to talk about the church, about the body of Christ. And he tells us in Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 20, he says, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building be, being fitted together is growing is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. So clearly, under the new covenant in Christ, we, we are told, we are taught that Christ's body, Christ's church, is God's house. It is God's temple. It is God's dwelling. But each individual Christian is also described as a temple of God. In the same book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 6, so a few, a few chapters later in that first epistle to the church at Corinth, in the 19th verse, Paul asks another question. And he says, Do you not know that your body is a temple? Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you have from God and that you are not your own? For you have been bought. You have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Paul says it this way when describing his own relationship, his own fellowship with God in Christ. He says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, for Christ lives in me. Paul was a temple of God. Paul was a dwelling place for Christ. The Apostle John expresses it this way over in 2 John verse 9 when he says, The one who abides in the teaching." The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. So clearly, God, our Creator, desires oneness. He desires fellowship with those who are His image bearers. 
with those he has called out of sin into his fellowship. The Heavenly Father desires to dwell and to walk with those who are his children. If both the church and the individual Christian are sanctified as God's house, that is, if the church and the Christian are relationships where God is to reside, then the glory of the Lord should be evident. The glory of the Lord should be evident, should be seen in us. If you recall, back in Exodus and 2 Chronicles, when the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle in Moses' day, and when the glory of the Lord filled the temple in Solomon's day, it says that no one else could reside in the temple, could enter the temple as long as that physical manifestation of God's glory was there. So, if we are filled with the presence of the Lord, what else should be residing in us? If we are truly filled with God, what else should be dwelling in us? Nothing. If we are filled with God, to what level, to what extent should we be filled? Completely. Totally. Let me illustrate it this way. God is either the treasure of our hearts, or he isn't. There isn't any middle ground here. God is not going to share hearts with another. Jesus goes on to express it this way in Matthew 6, verse 24, when he says you cannot serve God and mammon. That is, you cannot have two gods. You cannot have two lords. You cannot have two masters. Now, people try to do that. People compromise and they try to straddle the fence. But it's not possible. If we are a dwelling for God, then we are to be filled with God completely, totally. Being the temple of the living God means that there is no room for darkness. There is no room for unrighteousness. There is no room for idolatry. Turn your New Testaments over to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Let's read a very familiar passage again. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning there in verse 14, Paul admonishes Christians, saying, Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Just as God said, I will dwell in them 
and walk among them. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out. Come out from the midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean. And I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you. And you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Verse 1. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves. Let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. We are to be the temple of God as the church. And we are to be the temple of God as an individual. And the the temple of God is holy. It is to be a sacred place where God dwells and fills us. God will not share space with another. God does not share hearts with another. And so therefore we are being admonished. We are being exhorted. We are being instructed not to make any attempt, not to make any allowance of harnessing together anything that is in opposition to God's holiness. For that's what we have been created to be. If we are truly or if we have truly sanctified Christ as Lord in our hearts, as the Apostle Peter admonished us in 1 Peter 3.15, if we have truly sanctified Christ as Lord in our hearts, how many lords, how many masters should be dwelling and ruling in us? How many? One. And only one. And that is exactly what people ought to be able to see in us. And to see in us every day, in both word and in deed, that Christ has been sanctified as Lord in our hearts. God is our treasure. We are his temple in our personal lives, but also in our life as a congregate of God's children. In Galatians chapter 5, In Galatians chapter 5, the Christian is instructed to bear the fruit of the Spirit. We turn over there and let us just glance very quickly at a few verses. Beginning in there, verse 22, I will read. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, that is, against the fruit of the Spirit, there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and his desires. Did you notice something there? Did you notice what the scriptures is saying The Christian who's bearing the fruit of the Spirit, like he's supposed 
to do because he is a temple of God. He is a dwelling place of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And so the Christian who is properly bearing the fruit of the Spirit leaves no room for fleshly passions and fleshly desires to flourish. That is not to say that we cannot still be tempted. And that is not to say that we may not be stumbled and ensnared at different moments in our life. But if we are bearing the fruit of the Spirit, if we are being led by the Spirit so as to bear the fruit of the Spirit, then we have crucified the flesh. And those passions and the desires are no longer masters in our life. They are no longer lords in our life. For God has filled us. Christ has filled us. The Spirit has filled us. If you think about it, the very fruit that it describes here in verses 22 and 23 come from partaking of the divine nature of our Creator and Heavenly Father, who is the source of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Where, where do all those things originate? In whom do they originate? It is God. It is our Father. It is our Lord and Savior, Jesus. It is the Holy Spirit. And when we are being led by the Spirit, when we are filling our life with God and with Christ as His temple, when we are being and doing what we are supposed to be and do, God fills us. And there is no room for anything else or anyone else. Because we are a dwelling of God. Are you filling up your life with God? Are we filling up our lives with God so that all who see us, everyone who sees us, everyone who's around us, see that we are the children of God, that you are a child of God, that you are a temple of the Spirit, that you are a dwelling place for the Father and Son? Or are we making opportunities for the devil to take up residence in our life. Which one is it? There's one Lord. There's one Father. There's one Spirit. And God would only dwell in a place of holiness. If you're a child of God, and there's sin in your life that you have not confessed to your father, repented of, and prayed to, to him for forgiveness. We want to encourage you to do that. To get on your knees and bow before the throne of grace and mercy and make your life right with the Lord. And if we can assist you in doing that, by praying with you or praying for you, please, please contact us and let us know. 
But if you are not a Christian, if you've not called upon the name of the Lord in obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ, we want to urge you to do that. To make your life right with the Lord. To make your life right with God. So that God can begin to dwell in your life. And that you can be filled with God. But you have to believe not only in God, you must believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he's the Son of God. And with that faith, you must repent of the sins you have committed. Confess your faith that Jesus is the Son of God with your mouth before others unashamedly. And be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins. If we can assist you to do, to do that today or any day. We encourage you, please, contact us. We'll do our best to help you in your walk with God and to make your life right with the Lord. Thank you for listening today and studying God's word. I bid you Godspeed.